Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to two new Redemption Press authors. During the first half of the podcast today, you're going to meet Jolene Saunders, author of He's Worth the Wait. Then during the second half of the podcast, you'll meet Carol Letham, author of Finding Joy in My Messy Life. They both have incredible Romans 8.28 stories to share today. So first things first, let me give our first guest a proper introduction. Jolene Saunders has a degree in English with a minor in linguistics. When she was single and dating, she journaled through her thoughts in blog and poetry form. Now she shares her thoughts with her husband, Kevin, Together, they serve on the worship team at their church, appreciate history and good humor, and live in Salem, Oregon with their three cats, Sparrow, Malachi, and Nutmeg. He's Worth the Wait, the Christian Gal's Guide to Dating and Waiting, is her first devotional journal for young single women who desire to achieve the forever relationship God's way. And I always love it when I get to share some little known facts. Before getting married, Jolene was considered the cat lady. She would feed all the neighborhood cats and strays. But now that she's married, she and her husband, Kevin, are both cat people. So she doesn't get the crazy cat lady comments anymore. Although her mom has asked if they'll stop getting cats, They have three, one for each year they've been married. She told her they'd happily stop if God blesses them with a child. Otherwise, she jokingly told her that they just keep getting a new one every year. Last Valentine's Day, she gave Kevin a shirt that says, best cat dad ever. I love that. On a more serious note, Kevin and Jolene really do want children and have been trying throughout their marriage. They've had two difficult miscarriages. So the theme of worth the wait that they have throughout her book applies to her current life in waiting for a child. It's something she has continually surrendered up to the Lord every time she wants to worry about it and has to take her own advice and wait with patient expectation. All right, let's roll that conversation. Well, Jolene, I have been looking forward to our time together. So welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You bet. So normally I just ask for a little Romans 828 story to start us out. But since your entire book, He's Worth the Wait, which I can totally relate to, that is just one big Romans 8:28 story. So I'm going to just have us dive in right there and have you share your Romans 8:28 story that's in your brand new book that just came out. It's it's so exciting to me because God had put this this desire in my heart for writing this book, you know, years ago. And and my problem was I didn't have the answer. The the promise hadn't been fulfilled. And I'm like, I know, you know, I believe the Lord. I believe he's has someone for me. And that was my big Romans 8.28 moment was Jason, who was who God had planned for me. And that's my husband, Kevin. So parts of this book had been written 
a while ago <laughs> because through blog, form, poetry, or what have you, just relating experiences that I had because it was so important to me to, sh- to share this story. But my Romans 8.28 story really is just trusting the Lord through through the time of singleness and trusting him pride the husband that I knew he had for me and you know dating people who weren't the ones for me and and some of them were good people you know they just weren't the person for me and that God had planned for me and the the interesting thing to me too is how God's timing is so perfect and so are not our timing and when it when he introduced Kevin to me in this way Little did I know that I would have known him for so long. <laughs> He's my little brother's best friend. And they had been best friends since their freshman year of high school. And I was a senior in high school. So there was no interest whatsoever there. This is my little brother's friend. And I was friends with his sister, who was my age. And it wasn't until I was 29 years old that his sister goes, I want to, you know, give a double date with you and a blind date, she first said. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm interested in that. And then she goes along to tell me it's her brother. And I was just like, little Kevin? (laughs) Without giving too much of my book away, it was... It was was very unexpected. And I I went not expecting to to have any feelings for him because he had been friend-zoned for so long. But in, in God's timing, he totally opened both of our eyes in that moment that we saw each other again. And little did we know we had so much in common when we just hit it off that night and just completely shocked me that God was so perfect that I had this idea in my head of, of this, this person I wanted to marry. And I brought it before the Lord and said, God, this is what I like. It's up to you, obviously what, what kind of person you have for me. And so, but this is, this is the stuff that I would like. And little did I know that Kevin would fit every check mark on that list. And then more more that I didn't even think about to include on that list. That would just be such a good compliment for me. And and I think, you know, and we still compliment each other amazingly. And I'm I feel so blessed to have waited for the person God had for me. And that's something I just really wanted to share with others to to surrender, to surrender their heart to the Lord and surrender their desires and say, this is, you know, this is my desires and God cares about every little desire we have. And, and then uh, watch him work and just be patient. Well, and I can totally attest to that, (laughs) having that list and saying, okay, Lord, I don't want to compromise. I don't want to get impatient. I don't want to just jump at the first thing and go, well, you know, it's not everything on my list, but it's close enough. And, you know, he rewards that when we just wait on him to do what he wants to do. So his name gets glorified in all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So what is the backstory to your book finding its way to us at Redemption Press? I'd love to hear that story. Well, I'll I'll rewind a few years back when Kevin and I were in our first year of marriage and I was so excited I could finally write the book because <laughs> I could actually, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm married. I have this, this purpose person, who, you know, a great compliment for me and I can write this book. So I wrote it and it, within that first year of marriage. And then at that point, I was starting to look into publishers and editing and, and different things associated and to say I was discouraged would be putting it mildly. <laughs> I was, I was one discouraged at seeing all the, these Christian publishers that had 
sold out, so to speak, to secular side. And I, I really, really wanted a publisher that shared the values that I do and didn't just want clean content, you know, they, but some, somewhat, a publisher that shared my faith. So that was really important to me. And I was just getting so discouraged. And then on top of that, realizing just all the costs associated with, with editing costs and stuff. And I just, uh, I, I shelved it. I shelved it and said, God, this is yours again. I'm going to have to surrender and surrender this book. If you want, you know, people to read it, it's, it's in your hands and just shelved it for a year, had it, had it shelved for a year. And then just out of the blue, a couple came up to my husband and I and said that, that they felt the Lord prompting them to finance this book and any editing costs or whatever associated, they said, just tell us the number. (laughs) And we were floored (laughs) and just so humbled by what, you know, know, at this point, I had done my research and I knew I was wanting Redemption Press to be the publisher because I had and I just didn't find anyone that compared to just truly being a publisher of faith and standing, you know, in, standing in firm in the Lord. And I, that's what I wanted. So I immediately, the day that they told us, I go on to Redemption Press's website and there's a place to submit the manuscript. And I logged into my Google Docs and I was again, Lord, when I saw the date that I had last logged in was one year prior to the day. And so God just is so amazing. And it was just that added confirmation in my heart that this is God, you know, and and he has a plan for this book. And I was just so, so in awe of him that I had submitted the book. And then I think it was within that week, I'm a flight attendant and I was about to board a plane when I saw I missed a call and I I checked the message and listened to the message on my phone. And it was you actually. (laughs) I heard you like, this is Athena Dean Holson. We're interested in publishing your book. And I'm like, oh, I know we're going to board in a minute, but I got to call her back. And I called you back and it was Christmas Eve. And that night was Christmas Eve. And I was just so amazed. What a what a Christmas present, you know, <laughs> that that was. And uh, that's how, how I came about being published by Redemption Press. <laughs> I love those stories. I mean, I have for the last 34 years, heard that I mean that was my story the first book I was involved in someone just walked up and paid for the whole thing and I've seen God do that and it's just like yes that's just who he is he's generous but he he does it in his timing not always ours yeah yeah, absolutely so I had to wait for the book too God (laughs) had me wait for his timing for the book to be in print too so it's all about just waiting in that patient expectation for God to move in our lives. Mm, amen. So, okay, there's more in your life. I mean, we all have lots of Romans 8, 28 stories because God, that's his deal. I mean, he's always looking for whatever he can to turn good out of it just to glorify his name. And he does that for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So t- give us another way that he has worked that Romans eight twenty eight scripture in your life. I do. Yeah, I have a lot of stories of just God doing these, these moments, but probably another of the more poignant ones that were the most meaningful to me was back when I, and this is probably the first one I ever experienced. I was um, going into sixth grade and I uh, 
was playing the violin. And at this point, my parents realized I was serious about the instrument and really loved it. And they're like, this is something she's going to do, you know, for the rest of her life. And so I needed a full-size violin. And my parents told me to, to be praying. And they're like, be praying for a violin that's under $500. And of the full size. And uh, if you know anything about violins, that's nothing. So <laughs> that to get a good professional violin, you're not, you know, that's, that's a miracle. So they pretty much told me to pray for a miracle. And so I remember all through the summer, I prayed every night, you know, God, please give us a violin for under $500. And without really, I think, fully understanding even at that time, how, how crazy that was until God answered that. And then at the end of the summer, my, my grandfather out of the blue goes, you know, I forgot I have an old violin in my attic. And we were like, really? And honestly, as a little, you know, going to be sixth grader, I was like, old? <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, do I want an old violin? Well, little did I know, old is good. And so uh, he goes, I don't know if it's worth anything. Take it to a violin maker and get it appraised. See if, you know, but she can have it if she wants it. So with we, we, the, the backstory, though, to this is kind of really, really fun because my grandfather used to be the director of instrumental music at Biola University 20 years prior. So it was 20 years ago. And a woman had come up to him and said, my husband is dying and he played the, this violin for 40 years in the military. And he wants to give this to someone who appreciates music. And you're the only one who I could think of. So she gave it to him all those years ago. He, it's not his primary instrument. He, though he plays a lot. So it sat in his attic for 20 years and he forgot about it up until this day. And so my mom and I took it to a violin maker and he's looking at it and it's pants inside of it. It has the inscription of who had handmade it, which nowadays everything's, you know, made by machines. So that in itself is great. And it's handmade in 1916 and at the time wasn't a hundred years old, which obviously now it's over that. And he goes and looks in the books of the maker and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And so we're like, is it worth anything? And he looks over and he goes, I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, the neck, which is where, you know, you put your hands to play the violin, the neck is really narrow, he goes, which is kind of an odd Thing that the person this was made for obviously had very small hands, but that as it is, not a lot of people could play this, you know, how it is. So that's really going to decrease the value a lot. And we're like, oh, okay. And he looks at my hands though and goes, well, it's going to be perfect for her. And, and honestly, I still have kid hands, so it's still perfect for me. But uh, he goes, yeah, it's it's worth about you know twenty five hundred to three thousand. And we were like, whoa. And that's significantly decreased. Not that we'd be selling it, but that was that was just quite amazing. And uh, embarrassed, my mom then grabs the bow, which is all frayed, and pulls out the bow and says, "Is this worth anything, or should we just buy a new one?" And the violin maker literally chuckled, and he he goes, "Yeah, that was made in 1896 by a well-known bow maker, and it the bow alone is uh, 1500 to 2000 the bow." And my mom's like, "It's a a stick with horse hair." <laughs> I remember that still it's, it was just such a, a god moment and then to make matters even more and more god he is bringing up how much it's going to be to buy new strings and the bow rehaired and get a new case and it was just under 500 dollars for all that once it was said and done and for me it was it was my romans 828 moment because i had been praying all summer for this miracle. And not only was it to the dollar under $500, which was my prayer, but it was such a cool moment where I realized that God had answered my prayer 
20 years before the words even were on my lips, 20 years before. And he handmade this hundred year, over almost a hundred years prior to that with a small neck because he knew it would fit my hands perfectly. So I love that. Oh my gosh. He, he is so faithful. Man. So, okay. What's, what's the cat thing? <laughs> Tell us about the cat. <laughs> well, my, that's, that's my husband and I are definitely cat people, which was another item on my list was, well, it was that I didn't want someone allergic to cats because I just didn't think I could live without them. And not only did I get someone who's not allergic, he loves cats as well. So we're, we're the cat people. And I mean, Valentine's Day, I got him a, a shirt that said best cat did ever. <laughs> And it has a little picture with a cat fist bumping a, a human hand. And we love our cats. We have three cats, Sparrow, Malachi, and Nutmeg. And they're, they're our kids right now. Before we have kids, those are our kids. And ironically, my mom said, because we have three cats and three years of marriage, she goes, well, are, are you guys going to stop getting? And I jokingly was telling her, well, once God gives us a child, we'll stop getting cats. But in all seriousness, though, I think we're done getting cats. But <laughs> we love our three but that's an, that's another thing that we we are praying about is is children because we do want to have children and we've been in prayer for that now and that's my new Romans eight twenty eight prayer and surrendering surrendering that desire. Amen, amen. So, are there any themes from your book that are still applicable to you today? That yes, he's worth the wait is the overarching theme, and that actually is the what I was referring to because with wanting children, that is definitely what I'm surrendering right now on a daily basis. We've had a couple miscarriages early on and early miscarriages. And those were extremely difficult for us. And it's, it's, it's hard, but you know, you just start trusting God through it and, and that his timing is better than ours. And I can't be thinking what the world says about my time clock. I can't be thinking what the world says about, you know, Oh, it's, it's, you know, you, it's been this and long, you know, I, I just have to trust the Lord and surrender every day to his, his will and his timing and believe him for another miracle. Yeah. Well, and you know, just the title of your book, he's worth the wait. Well, that baby is going to be worth the wait. <laughs> Getting mm-hmm. pregnant is going to be worth the wait. I mean, that's, that's such a great overarching title because that has to be where our hearts are is understanding God's timing for everything in our life is worth waiting for. It's way better than us making things happen. Absolutely. Wow. Mm -hmm. So give us another example of God answering prayer other than Kevin and your violin. I'm sure you've got another one or two to share with us. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Absolutely. I was going to mention too, real quick with, with the answered prayer of, of Kevin, there is a verse I wanted to mention real quick before I forget in James 117. And it's that every, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And that was, it's not usually a verse I feel like people grab a hold of for waiting for a husband. But for me, it, it was one day I remember reading it and I suddenly was struck by the words good and perfect. And I realized, wait a minute, those aren't actually the same thing. So I looked into the Greek of what good and what perfect means. And good 
is nice, kind, fair, well off. But then looking at perfect, it's the consummate, the complete, the accomplished. And I'm thinking, I want the complete, the accomplished will of God in my life. And so that kind of changed my perspective and not just on finding a husband but then in other areas that I was expecting and wanting and praying for miracles in is that I, I was praying for the perfect will of God then. Because I mean, we can make the good work, but we want the perfect and not that you're going to find a perfect person, but somebody who, who is the perfect compliment. And you know what I mean? So that's, that's the prayer is, is asking God for that perfect will for my life in every instance. And so that's, that's another, another aspect of life where I'm, I'm just praying in everything. What's, what's your perfect will Lord. And, and just show me and lead me in that perfect path. And another miracle where God, another miracle God put in my life then is also in the book. And this is just the one that popped in my head right now is when God got me out of a dangerous situation that could have been, could have been pretty dangerous. And it was when an old, someone I thought was an old comrade from my orchestra days had reconnected and wanted to hang out. You'll get the full story in the book, but wanted to hang out. And I didn't think there was anything romantic but apparently he was interested. And I told him it was too late. It was once I got off work, it was like 10 or 11 at night. And, and he was very adamant. He's like, I'm already on my way over. And he ends up coming over and, and would, you know, would, I kept saying, I'm really tired. I'm really cold. I'm just going to go in. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and in fact, he ends up then because we were cold in his car. And then because he, there's a nearby park, he then drives to a park and it's late and I'm wanting to go home and not the smartest situation, but I was 19 years old and not really walking <laughs> in the, in the, the full armor I got at the time. <laughs> I had my brother, I told him, I had told him before I left, I said, Hey, I'm going to go meet, the, you know, go see this guy. So, you know, just so you know, and he was like, no, don't do this. And he was praying for me. That whole time, he said he felt such an unease in his spirit. He just started praying and praying and praying through this time of me saying, I want to go home. I'm tired and and getting no, no, no. And so now we're at this park. It's like probably nearing midnight. It's dark. It's cold. And I, I'm actually starting to get really concerned because he's not taking me back when I'm asking again and again. I'm, I've never been in this situation where, you know, saying, asking somebody to do something and they're they're not they're not doing it and just not respecting me in that way. So I was starting to get really concerned and he's trying to cuddle against me. And I'm like, this is not comfortable right now. I'm very uncomfortable. And I'm like, God, I need a way out of here. And then all of a sudden I look across the street in this park and I see what looks like my brother because he was riding a bike, you know, across the street. And the reason I thought it was him is because they had the same, the same, uh, bicycle which had a headlight which is not very many bicycles I've seen with headlights and he was wearing basketball shorts which my brother wears to bed basketball shorts and his shirt so I'm like it's my brother I'm like oh no I told him I was going out he's coming after me please you got to take me back um right now and I was very adamant I got up I went to the truck I'm like take me back right now he's worried about me because at this point my, the my brother had in my view gone it was too far away to like catch up to. So I'm like, just take me back. And he did. He actually did take me back right then. And then the next morning, I ended up asking my brother saying, I'm so sorry. I worried you. Are you looking for me last night? And, and he goes, no, I wasn't. And I go, I saw you. And I explained what I saw. And he says, 
no, no, Jolene, that's really weird. I was praying for you and praying for you. And I said, God, send your angels to protect her. And after I prayed for angelic protection, he said, I felt peace and went to sleep. I said, what time was that at? He told me what time it was. And it was exactly when I had seen and said, take me back, looking at my time. And he said, take me back. So wow. I was just in a miracle that God had sent and I believe angelic protection to get me. <laughs> Amen. Well, that is, that's the nature of our God. He loves to answer those prayers because it glorifies his name and people are able, you tell those stories and they're able to learn to trust them for themselves, you know, yeah. and that, mm -hmm. I love that. So, okay. So as we wrap up, give us a tip or a tool that will help our listeners really grab a hold of Romans 8, 28. Because sometimes, you know, it's hard to remember that he really is somehow going to work all things together for good when, you know, when you're in the middle of it, yeah. it's hard to see. So what, what can yeah. you share that will help? Yeah. Well, there's a lot, I, I, but just narrowing down to one main thing is to, tr you know, why my life first trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways, acknowledge your path. So that to me comes down to just surrendering it to God, trusting in him reading the scriptures for that comfort and just knowing that he is going to work it all out to our good. If we're putting our trust in him, because that's contingent on us saying, yes, God, I give this to you. It, it has, it's a responsibility on our part. So he will work it out, but let's, let's do our part too. And, uh, and trust in him with our everything. Amen. Amen. So if we have some people listening today who would like to connect with you online or on social media, where's the best place for them to find you? We find me on Facebook, Jolene Saunders on Facebook. I don't really use Instagram very much, but I do. I am more active on Facebook. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an absolute delight to just hear your story and just your genuine, just compassion and excitement about the way God answers prayer and meets our needs yes. and is such a, such an amazing provider. So thank you so much for sharing today. Tara, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, allowing me this opportunity. You betcha. All right, we are back for the second segment of today's All Things Podcast, and I am super excited to introduce you to Carol Leatham. Carol was a Hollywood commercial actress and pastor's wife, and when her husband developed anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts, Carol began sharing the chaos and messiness that comes when caring for someone with a mental illness. Through her ministry, Carol's Journey, she encourages and uplifts hundreds of women all over the country with her flair for storytelling and raw transparency. Carol and her husband, Bill, live in Bakersfield, California, and are the parents to two grown miracle children and grandparents to six grandchildren. And a seventh is due July, 2021. So just a few little known facts, Carol is a true introvert. I would never guess that. She resets with a cup of good coffee, a warm blanket, and her Bengal cat purring on her lap. 
She gets motion sickness so bad she can't swim and takes medicine so she can go on rides at Disney parks with her kids and grandkids. She is obsessed with British television and puts mustard on everything. What? Even pancakes. I love this girl. Let's roll that conversation. So Carol Leatham, I am so excited to have you as a guest on the All Things Podcast today. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Oh, Athena, I am so excited to be here. Well, I have so much to dig into with your book. And before we jump into those questions, and it can be book-related or non-book-related, but I would just love to have our listeners just get an inside glimpse on how God works things together for good in your life. And I'm sure you have a million examples you could give, but would just love to hear one to start us off. You know, I, when, before this whole circumstance started with my husband, God was already at work by preparing a place, a safe place for us to live we were living in Fairfield and it was a circle. We had a beautiful home. He was pastoring and his blood pressure was starting to get out of control. And one day his doctor said, you need to retire. And so through a series of just crazy circumstances, we ended up selling our home in Fairfield, purchasing a house in Bakersfield with an apartment attached to it. And my daughter moved into the main house. We moved into the apartment. So then he retired and Things began to progress with his illness and the anxiety and everything started happening, but we were living under my daughter's roof. And my son-in-law at that time was working as an EMT. So I had all of this incredible support. And then when things were at their worst, before I really understood what it was, this is probably the most incredible God story of all. He sent me to a retreat with my friend and my friend came marching into the cabin one day and she said, something is really wrong and you're going to tell me what it is. And I began to unfold this story, not even knowing what I was really saying. And I remember she just got right in my face. She's just this beautiful woman. And she said, we've been friends for a long time. And I said, yes, you know that I'm a retired nurse. Yes. What you don't know is I'm a retired psychiatric nurse. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And she proceeded to lay out what I needed to look for and then has proceeded to walk through the last five years with me in great detail at doctor's appointments, just calling me to check in. I mean, God just knew. And then the second person he put in my life over 20 years ago, one of my closest friends is the vice president of a pharmaceutical company, and she understands medications. And she understands reactions. So I can call her and I can ask for help. And am I seeing this? Am I what? And so that's just, that's just a small snippet, you know, like it's amazing. I have hundreds of stories like that. Wow. And to, and to just think how, when things look really dark on, on, to our perspective, what God is doing behind the scenes Mm -hmm. to like, put but just the right people he's not going to necessarily not make you go through the trial but he's going to give you what you need and that just is like whoa yeah it's 
I, I get a little, I get a little teary eyed and emotional when I sit and think about it for too long, just because when this happened, I lost my entire identity. I lost it as a wife. I lost it as a, as a pastor's wife and, and just watching how he has rebuilt and, and how he's really taking the grief that Mm. I experienced and, and all of this joy that I continue to just find in, in God through this, through this whole situation. And, and it's like, I live in this strange world of grief in one hand, joy in the other hand. And yet they're really intermingled because that was God's plan all along. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just, it's reality. Mm -hmm. Life is bittersweet. You don't get one without the other. If you do, you're in total denial. You know, like there is the other side of the coin. Yes, absolutely. Man. Okay. So we're going to jump into your story and your book. You say, Carol, that your husband gave you his blessing for you to share your journey about dealing with his struggles. Was that a hard decision for him? And why did he ultimately give you his blessing? I think this is the question that everybody is most curious about. And the answer is, at first, he was hesitant. At first, he wasn't sure. At first, I wasn't sure. I never intended to really publish the story. I wrote it sort of as a cathartic healing for my own self. And then we began to have conversations after I I started working through the publishing process. And I, I would never have moved forward had he not agreed. And we would have all of these conversations. And then one day we had a conversation about mental illness and, and he was frustrated because everybody kept saying he had mental illness. And I had written a book about my husband having mental illness. And so uh, as we were sitting there, I asked him a question and I said, okay, babe, if you had heart disease, if you had cancer, if you had diabetes, if you were getting treated for any of those things, would you feel the same? And he said, no. And I said, okay, follow-up question. What part of your body is affected by the illness that you struggle with. And he got real quiet and he said, my brain, I have an illness of the brain, Published the book. Oh. Yeah. Then after we got done, we got to the point of, of getting ready to just go to print and getting ready to do some editing. I asked him to write the foreword. Because I wanted everybody from opening the cover of the book to feel comfortable that I'm not outing him. I'm not saying anything. He doesn't know what I'm saying. I wanted people to feel comfortable that he has read the manuscript and he sort of approves the message that's in that. And in the forward, there's two statements that he writes. He writes, I've read the manuscript and I am supportive of Carol in sharing our story. And then he closes the forward by saying, I pray, and he really does, that this book will be a source of encouragement to you, especially if you're on a similar journey. So he sees the value of what God has done in our lives, and, and he's, he is totally on board with me moving forward with publishing the book. Mm. That's just so powerful, because, I mean, I have, in 35 years in publishing, I have seen women write their stories, but they throw their spouse or the the person that, you know, they struggled with that relationship because of whatever the circumstances were, you know, it's, it's 
just the total opposite of what you're saying. I mean, you are doing this together. I mean, really, you're in partnership sharing this story. You wrote it, you lived it, but he's standing right there beside you. And that's, I mean, that really is important. This is a love story. This is a love story of how God loves me. And this is a love story of how I love my husband. And I am going to stay true to and honor the vow that I made before God that I was going to be married to him in sickness and in health, in richer or poorer, till death do us part. And I just want people to see that through the struggles, and I am extremely transparent about the struggles that we've we've gone through. Through those struggles, God shows up. We trust God and I can, and you can stay committed. It's possible to stay committed. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's a choice that we make. And in our world of throwaway relationships, I just think it's so important. I also wrote it from the perspective of the caregiver. And I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you in great detail, his story, but I'm also telling you, I don't always do it right. (laughs) And I share in detail about God and I having arguments and some of the things that I've had to do to learn to do to cope, you know, and and get through this. Um, Mm. So why did you decide to be so transparent about the struggles of being married to someone struggling with mental illness? Well, looking back, I think it started the morning after I left him in the psychiatric hospital. He had a, he had a psychotic break. He was suicidal. He made a call. I had to take him in, in California. It's called 5150. I'd heard jokes about it. I didn't know what it was. And the next morning I had left him in the middle of the night in this hospital. And, and I'd been told by an armed guard, you have to leave. You can't come back. You have no say in what happens to him. And they basically escorted me out of the hospital. And as I was standing in the parking lot, I was just lost. And I drove back to my son's house in and in where we were staying at the time. And the next morning I woke up and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to call. I, I, I was sat there trying to figure out who, who do I call? Who do you call for help? <laughs> you know, what do I say? And I realized, I began to realize there's this veil of secrecy over mental illness. And yeah. I realized that there was there was no one that I felt safe calling. And I was even afraid to tell my children, but at this point I had to say I it was crazy. So as time went on, I realized that people were people didn't understand mental illness. And I had people ask me, what was Bill's hidden sin? What did he do to make God so mad? We went to the first counselor and she tried to heal our marriage. You know, I went to another counselor later on after I came home and after my second session with him, he said to me as we were getting ready to leave and I had paid him and it was time to make another appointment. He's like, Carol, I got nothing for you and I don't want to keep taking your money. And it's like, I'm like, are you fired? I remember walking out of his office and going, what do I do? I went to meetings where people who are our friends would turn and walk away to avoid us. I basically became overwhelmed at the beginning, but I'm not a person who gives up without a fight. So I began to create my own ways to cope. 
And one day my friend looked at me and she said, would you stop looking for help and start telling people what you're doing? Mm. And all of a sudden I went, okay. Then the kicker was in early 2020, pre-COVID, I was speaking at a big event and a woman approached me who'd been watching me for three years. And she got up right next to me in a very low voice. She whispered and she said, would you please write a book about how you do this? My husband's begun to struggle and I don't know what to do. Mm. And I, and I walked away and I went, okay, maybe I will. And then I went in and taught another session. And at the end of the session, a, a woman approached me and I'd been very transparent in that session about the struggles. And a woman approached me and handed me a card and said, I can help you. I can help you with your husband. And I looked down and she said, you're going to call this number and this person's going to help you. And she wanted me to go to an exorcist. Because oh. she thought, yes. And as I walked away, I was kind of giggling at that point because I thought, is this where we've gone with this God? And that night at dinner, I was sitting with some friends and I told them these two things. And to, to each one of them sitting at this table, they're like, would you please just write the book? God wants you to write the book. And I started, I started doing it. And I said, I'm only doing it if I just, I'm open, I'm transparent and everything points back to God. And that's exactly mm. what has happened. Well, and that's where women resonate with that. If you're just trying to look all put together and like, you know, I just did one, two, three and God did this. And, but when you're real about the struggle and, you know, there's ways to do it with good taste. I mean, you don't, you know, a lot of when we go through stuff like this, we have to process it and God has to do healing in our hearts before we're ready to share it. But you've done that mm -hmm. and you've taken a topic that is very shame-based. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the response you get from people in the church yeah. is, you know, don't talk about that because that's awkward and we don't want to, or, or we're going to throw a scripture at you to, you know, make it go away. So you can just mm -hmm. go away and not make me have to feel like, what's this God? I mean, <laughs> But yeah. I just love that, that you're willing to open up, you know, pull back the curtain, be transparent, because that's where women are going to say, I, I have gone through that too. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, they're going to find some hope because you're being real. So yeah. I appreciate that about you. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. So what were your thoughts about mental illness before it became a part of your life? And what have you learned now that you'd like to share with others? You know, as a pastor's wife, I, I, I would have told you that I understood it. I would have told you that I was sympathetic to it. I would have also tell you now on this side of it that I was completely ignorant and I didn't understand at all what we were dealing with. I had, I've sat and prayed with families who have family members dealing with depression, bipolar disorder, postpartum depression, PMS, women have PMS, anxiety, OCD, panics, phobias, even suicide. I've, I've sat and prayed with, with multiple people who have had suicides in their family. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying prayer is not important because it is. But I already, I just didn't understand. And I was misinformed, actually. Mental illness is an umbrella for all of those disorders and diseases that I just mentioned. 
mental illness is this sort of overlying general term that covers all of these things. And I had no idea that that's what we would, you know, categorize as mental illness. I look back now and I see so many circumstances that could have been dealt with in such an incredibly positive way had we begun to understand, had I understood what we were dealing with. And so I would say that what has changed the most and what I want people to understand now more than anything is it's an illness and it's treatable. It's difficult to treat because the brain is the only organ in our body that we cannot biopsy and identify exactly what is wrong with it. So the chances you're, you're taking a lot more chances and there's a lot more risk involved because medications can fail. There's so many things that they're variables that we don't know how to deal with. And it's complicated and it's messy and it's difficult. And sometimes it's easier to ignore than it is to say, this is what we're dealing with. And so yeah. I'm sort of like throwing up. My friend said, I'm not just pulling back the curtain. I'm ripping it down. <laughs> well, and you know what? That's that's really needed because, you know, the church likes to have everything in a neat little box with a bow on top. And life is not like that. <laughs> no. And if we can't get real about what is really going on, how are we ever going to be able to walk through any sort of growth and healing from what's happening if we can't even be honest about what's happening? So, <laughs> yeah, wow. that's true. That's true. So who, who should read your book and what do you want your readers to learn from your story? Well, there's a, there's a statement that I make in the book that says, I want everybody to stare at my life and wonder how I'm not a puddle on the floor. And yet I want them to be amazed at how God continues to show up. So I think anyone who is curious about God is if God really cares about our messy lives. If you mm-hmm. have ever asked your question, does God really care about my life? That's who needs to read my book. And as Christians, we have bought into this huge, big, fat lie. And this is what it is. When things are going good and 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 we're you know, just everything is on point and we feel like life is great, then God is blessing us and we're living in his presence and we're in his will and everything is great. And then when trials come, we must have done something to make God mad and that he's punishing us. And guess what? It's not true. Right. We, we can live in the messiness of life and we can still see God show up. We can still see that God has a plan. And I used to read the Old Testament. And I love seeing how God would interact with Moses and Abraham and David and Elijah and all of these guys. And then I would go, why doesn't God interact with me that way? Well, in my book, you're going to read story after story after story, how God prepared the way. He put people, circumstances in place, preparation. He showed up when I needed money. He showed up when I needed direction. He showed up in all of these ways, providing for all of these needs. And I kind of like to say that God shows up and shows off how much he loves and cares for me. And then I want people to go away and know that he will do the same thing for them. That I might think I'm his favorite daughter, but it's not true. (laughs) All his favorite daughter. Exactly. The beautiful thing is, is that he makes us all feel like he loves us all. 
And he removes the fear without removing the circumstance when we trust him. And that's mm-hmm. what happens when we trust him and, 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 and he shows up. Amen. <laughs> so good. So how has God revealed himself to you during the last five years as you really journeyed through this mental illness with your husband? Well, I love James 1, 2 through 5. Because in James, it says when tests and challenges come, it doesn't say if, it uh-huh. says when. And so one of the ways that he has showed up is that I now understand that he sees trials and tests differently than we do. He sees them as a purpose. He sees them as a way to help us grow. And when he says, if you read James, I think it's one five in the message, it says, your faith life is going to be on display for everyone to see. And God, God knew that he knew that that was my heart. He knew that's what I wanted. And, and then little things would start happening. Like we came back from the very first Sunday, we were back in Bakersfield after he had come out of the hospital and we were trying to settle back in and life didn't look anything like I knew. And I was having a pity party, but I got up and I went to church because God said, go to church and I'm sitting in the pew and the pastor, pastor Andrew stood up that morning and he He said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but God just told me I need to say it. And then he quoted my favorite life scripture, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And he looked around the room and he goes, I don't know who that was for, but it was for me because I was tired. I was ready to quit. I was ready to walk away. Mm -hmm. And when I heard him quote that scripture, I knew God saw me. And then a few months later, I was attending a Beth Moore conference and I'd been given a ticket. I didn't want to go. And I was sitting on the front row. People would have killed to have my my seat because I'm right there. And I'm sitting in the dark and she walked out onto the stage and I don't know her. She doesn't know me. She didn't know I'm in the audience. And she started talking. And then all of a sudden she stopped and she turned and I'm sitting in the dark and she turned and she looked in the dark to the area where I was sitting. And she said, girl, it's going to be okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking around. <laughs> First into tears because, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to think. I thought my ministry days were over. I'd lost my mm-hmm. identity. I, I didn't know what to expect. And to hear that just, it was just a simple way of God showing me that she didn't know what she was saying. Pastor Andrew didn't know, but God knew that I needed to hear that. And then he began to just put my life back together. The women's ministry director at my church embraced me. Mm. He knew that I had teaching skills. So she pulled me into teaching. She encouraged me to talk about my messy life. She encouraged me to talk about my joy. She found ways to plug me in. And then I think the greatest way that he showed up was he sent a woman named Kelly into my life who was a life coach and she needed guinea pigs because she had just gotten her certification. So I thought I was doing her a favor. And one day I was sitting on her couch in a session and, and she asked me a question and she said, tell me what you would change about your life. If you could change anything, just tell me what you would change. 
And I just began rattling off. Well, my husband wouldn't have this and we wouldn't have quit our jobs and we wouldn't be living in Bakersfield and we wouldn't this. And I just started rattling off. He wouldn't have mental illness and all of these things I would change. And she was grinning. And then all of a sudden she said, okay, now answer this question. What do you love about your life right now? And I looked at her and I said, in order to answer that question, I have to change my answer to the first question. The answer to the first question is I would change nothing. Yeah. Everything I have in my life right now that I love is because, and it was like a light bulb went on in my head. And God said, Girl, do you get it yet? (laughs) You know, do you get it? And I went, Okay, God, I'm all in. And this was about a year before I decided to write the book. I just went, You know, I'd gotten stuck. And then I got comfortable. I got really comfortable with my life group and all the little things in Bakersfield. And I had my world really manageable. And then God sent the book. And the book is, has, has really got me out of my comfort zone. And, he, and, and life is changing. And he said to me, people need to hear this story. I want them to hear what I'm doing for you. And I want you to tell them that, you, that they can have it too. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. Okay, God, I'm your girl. I'm going to do it. Oh, I love that. So we are out of time. If we have some gals listening today who really want to connect with you on social media or your website, where's the best place for them to find you? The best place to find me would be at carolsjourney.com. It's Carol with an E. So carolsjourney.com. So and all of my social media handles are at Carol's Journey. And that just, if you if you go in and Google at carolsjourney.com on any Instagram or Facebook, I'm there. Carol Leatham is also there. My name, Carol Leatham, is also there. And then my website is carolsjourney.com. So that would Perfect. be the And I would well, love, I'd love people to reach out. Absolutely. Well, this has been an absolute delight to just have you share little snippets and insights. And I mean, it's just all so rich. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today on the all things podcast. And I just pray a blessing over your ministry and all that God is going to do with this story because it's powerful. And you're just a, you're just a great example of, you know, letting God be God in the middle of your mess. And (laughs) It's just amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Athena. It's been a joy. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.